morning. For the past few weeks, we have found ourselves in uncertain and anxious times. And let's be honest, the topic of these times has sort of taken over our news feeds, our news feeds, our social media, and much of our brain space. And I don't know about you, though I suspect it's the same or similar for many of us to one degree or another. But when that happens, I can give in to overthinking and sleepless nights and anxiety. And all the while, I feel like there's nothing I can do but wait and pray and try to trust that God is at work in the midst of it all. What are we to do? How are we to cope, let alone live faithfully and continue to engage our mission to love God, to love others, and to make disciples? To faithfully live as those who know God, who follow Jesus and pursue God's purposes in the world. What does that even look like now? I would imagine that those first followers of Jesus could identify with those feelings. The causes of their anxiety were different than what may cause yours or mine, but there, there are similarities. And to be sure, they, they were still discovering their mission when the book of Acts opens. In fact, it would, it would take hundreds of years for those early Christians to work out the theology of exactly what happened on Good Friday and Easter Sunday. There, there are days I'm not even sure we completely understand it now. What a roller coaster those early days were surrounding Easter on Monday, Thursday, Jesus was betrayed and arrested. On Good Friday, he was tortured and put to death and then laid in a tomb. And those first disciples deserted him. They had thought he was the one who was going to take back the land and restore the kingdom to Israel, as we will see. But then the worst thing that could happen to a would-be king happened to him and his followers, the very ones who saw themselves as reigning with him and serving in his court, his followers are dejected and isolated and anxious. But then there's good news. All of a sudden, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And for a bit, it looks like the plan is back on track. Here's how the author of the book of Acts records it. The book of Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 3 again. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up into heaven, after giving instructions to the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Did you hear that? Jesus is back. He's walking around, he's making appearances, he's eating, he's drinking, he's speaking with them. He's offering them convincing proofs that he had in fact risen from the dead. And great news, he's still on point. He's still talking about the coming of God's kingdom. Everything they thought was off on Good Friday, it would appear, is now back on. I don't want us to go too quickly over that last bit there in verse 3. Jesus has 40 days after his resurrection, and we're going to find out shortly before he ascends, between, uh, between his resurrection and before he ascends, and leaves his followers behind. And how does he use this time? He gives them proof that he has risen, and he speaks about one topic, the kingdom of God. And therein we find our good news for this week, though it won't turn out exactly like those first disciples thought it would. Our good news this week is this. Even in anxious and uncertain times, the kingdom of God is not in trouble. Even in anxious and uncertain times, the kingdom of God is not in trouble. In fact, while the book of Acts won't actually refer to the kingdom of God that many times, the kingdom language does pop up in important places. 
in the very first sentence of the book. And in Greek, the first five verses are one long run-on sentence. In that, in that very first sentence, Jesus teaches about the kingdom of God. And in the very last sentence of the book, the phrase appears again. Spoiler alert, at the end of the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul is under house arrest, and he's under the watchful eye of the Roman guard. However, even then, in anxious and uncertain times, the kingdom of God was not in trouble. In fact, it was flourishing. And we would do well to remind ourselves of that fact. The kingdom of God is quite capable of flourishing even in the most difficult of circumstances, even in crises like we're facing now. Luke, the author of the book of Acts and also of the gospel of Luke, writes this at the very end of the book of Acts. He says, For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to him to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Jesus talks about the kingdom of God at the beginning of the book of Acts. They are his famous last words, we could say. And then the Apostle Paul, under arrest, persecuted for his faith, awaiting trial, proclaims the good news of God's kingdom with boldness and without hindrance, even in anxious and uncertain times. The kingdom was not in trouble. In fact, it was flourishing. In these 40 days between Jesus' resurrection and his ascension, Jesus accomplishes four goals. He proves his resurrection. He teaches about the kingdom of God. He promises the coming of the Holy Spirit like never before. And he outlines the mission of the early church, which Luke then uses as the outline for the rest of the book of Acts. The Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts are two volumes of one historical work. And this is why Luke begins the book of Acts with the words, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. So with the book of Acts, Luke gives us a little bit of a recap, like our favorite TV show previously on Jesus of Nazareth. And then he overlaps the last few paragraphs of, of his Gospel, and expands on those events a bit. And in the gospel that bears his name, Luke wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And now in his second book, the book of Acts, he will write about all that Jesus continues to do and to teach. All that Jesus continues to do and to teach in and through the apostles and those first followers. And we can rightly imply in and through you and me and all of, all of his followers right down to us. In the first chapter of Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 33, Mary, the mother of Jesus, has promised that the child she bears will sit on David's throne and that his kingdom will never come to an end. In the first chapter of the book of Acts, the risen Lord Jesus teaches about the kingdom of God. And then as we saw earlier in the last sentence in the book of Acts, even in anxious times, the good news of the kingdom of God is proclaimed with all boldness and without hindrance. The kingdom of God is not in trouble. The kingdom of God is important. <clears throat> the book of Acts records for us just how uh, God's kingdom took shape in those early years. The, the print that you see here behind me is uh, uh, by an artist I love, Cody Miller. This one is entitled The Kingdom of God. And it reflects that day when, as the book of Revelation puts it later, when every tribe, tongue, and nation will come before the throne and worship God. <clears throat> Along with this print, Cody quotes a passage from pastor and author Frederick Buechner on the nature of the kingdom. And I've quoted him before, but this, this one never gets old for me. Frederick Buechner writes this about the kingdom. If we only had eyes to see and ears to hear and wits to understand, we would know that the kingdom of God, in the sense of holiness, goodness, beauty, is as close as breathing 
and is crying out to be born within ourselves and within the world, we would know that the kingdom of God is what we all of us hunger for above all other things, even when we don't know its name or realize that it's what we're starving to death for. And I like this part especially. The kingdom of God is where our best dreams come from and our truest prayers. We glimpse it at those moments when we find ourselves being better than we are and wiser than we know. We catch sight of it when at some moment of crisis, a strength seems to come to us that is greater than our own strength. We catch sight of it when at some moment of crisis, a strength seems to come to us that is greater than our own strength. The kingdom of God is where we belong. It is home. And whether we realize it or not, I think we are all of us homesick for it. But what did Jesus teach about God's kingdom in those 40 days after his resurrection? We don't know for sure. But it makes sense that we already have much of what he taught all the way back in the Gospels, right? And so if we want to know what Jesus thought was most important for his first followers to know before he left him in those 40 days, we're going to find it in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So for that reason, Kim and I try to, to read from the Gospels every day. No, we don't get very much at all on what exactly Jesus taught regarding the kingdom here in Acts chapter 1, but we do get one piece of it. Again, chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus promises the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Spirit. Whatever this kingdom is going to look like in the future, whatever shape it's going to take in the world, in their world and in our world, it will not happen unless and until they and we are empowered, baptized, immersed in the Holy Spirit. In the book of Luke, chapter 3, verse 16, John the Baptist prepares the way for Jesus by proclaiming that he will baptize us, Jesus will baptize us in a better way. Not only will we be cleansed from sin, but we will also be empowered for life and mission. The promise of God's outpouring his Holy Spirit upon us which Jesus mentions in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, has its roots in places in the prophets, in places like Isaiah 44, verses 3 and 4. There God promises, For I will pour out water, for I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They will spring up like grass in a meadow, like poplar trees by, a, by flowing streams. The gift of the Spirit is likened to water on dry ground. It is, it is necessary, it is vital, and without it, there is no life, nothing grows. Kim and I started seedlings this spring. First time we've ever done that. We've, we're finally getting serious about planting a vegetable garden. And the image I chose for our title slide is that of a seedling a few days after it has sprouted from the earth. It didn't get that way without water and light and warmth. And those first followers of Jesus will not even get to the end of chapter 2 of the book of Acts, without the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. There, after the Spirit has been given and about 3,000 people have come to faith, we, we read this, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles' 
all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The seed of God's kingdom that was planted in the earth, like Jesus in the tomb, germinated and burst forth from the earth in his resurrection. But that seed could not bear the fruit of those last few verses of Acts chapter 2 to say nothing of the rest of the book of Acts and the continuation of the mission down through the last 2,000 years without the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And in fact, Jesus tells his disciples in chapter 1 verse 4, do not even leave Jerusalem until you have received the Holy Spirit. Do not get ahead of the plan. But the disciples, who were often a little slow on the uptake, the disciples seem to stop listening to Jesus after he's mentioned the kingdom of God. They, they have a very different understanding of the kingdom than Jesus does. So they want to redirect him a bit. Verses 6 to 8, chapter 1. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The disciples have a vision, but it is the wrong vision. It's too small. They, they want to restore the kingdom of, the king, of King David sitting on his throne, and they want to restore the, the kingdom to the nation of Israel. But Jesus wants to restore more than that. They want to restore the, the kingdom to Israel, but Jesus wants to restore all things. In fact, they, they do later figure this out, of course, over in Acts chapter 3, verse 21, after the apostle Peter draws a crowd around him for the healing of a man who was lame from birth. He, he lays out for them the story of Jesus, and he tells them that it is through Jesus the Messiah that this, this man has been healed. And then he adds that this was all a part of God's plan, who will one day restore all things, just as he promised through the prophets. See, the disciples simply are not going to be able to see God's bigger plan, God's kingdom plan, until they receive the Holy Spirit. You know, we can and we must and we should continue to pray that God will give us wisdom, that God will give wisdom to our, to our leaders, that, that God will protect our health care workers, that God will grant insight to our scientists, that God will heal those who are sick so that we may come through this crisis. But we, we don't have to stop there in our prayers. We we want God to restore our economy, of course, our jobs, our health, our way of life, but God wants to restore all things. God has bigger plans, kingdom plans. And regardless of what happens with any of these things, God's kingdom is simply not in trouble. And ultimately, neither are we. True, as Jesus says in John 16, 33, in this world, we will have trouble, but the kingdom of God is not in trouble, and neither are we. And if we are going to get this bigger vision of God's kingdom, we must wait on the Holy Spirit too. There are different ways to, to outline the book of Acts, but one of the more fruitful and helpful ones I've found is to see this book divided into six panels that are connected to one another by five brief summary verses that speak about the spread of the gospel message and the growth of the early church. 
Those summary passages are found in Acts chapter 6, verse 7, chapter 9, verse 31, chapter 12, verse 24, chapter 16, verse 5, and chapter 19, verse 20. And I put them in your Bible app live event. Those six panels follow the outline Jesus gives us in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That outline and those six panels are a model for our ministry as a church today, too. Jerusalem represents those who are culturally and geographically near to us. Our Judea is culturally similar, but geographically more distant. Samaria is culturally different, but geographically within reach. And the ends of the earth, the Gentiles, those in Asia Minor, Macedonia, Achaia, and Rome, in the book of Acts, these are the places to which we go as missionaries. Places that are culturally and geographically distant from us. But how are we to give ourselves to these things now in this time of social distancing and stay-at-home orders? How are we to give ourselves to What are we to do? How are we to go forward? You know, the best possible answer I can give you is the same one Jesus gave his first followers. We wait on God to send his Holy Spirit. Let's read a bit further and see what happens here. Verse 9. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken away, who has ta taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This is the event known as the ascension of the church in the church calendar. We remember it each year, 40 days after Easter. It always falls on a Thursday. This year, Ascension Day is May 21st, and I'm going to recommend that we use that day to set aside some specific time to pray and wait on the Holy Spirit. Why? Let's read a little bit beyond our passage this morning. Verses 12 to 14. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip, and Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together in const constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Following Jesus' instructions not to leave Jerusalem, they go there to Jerusalem. They come together and they join together constantly in prayer. We, we can't join together physically right now in prayer with one another, but when it comes to prayer, that really doesn't matter as much. We can join together in prayer. We can wait together on the Holy Spirit as a congregation. I don't mean by that that the Holy Spirit isn't already here and, and at work in, in, in and among and through us. I mean that we practice what we have learned over and over in the past few years. Let us spend time in prayer and let us wait on the leading of God's Holy Spirit among us. Let's spend time in prayer and wait on the leading of God's Spirit among us. We learn this lesson over and over in the Vitality team and in the ministry planning team that followed it. There was always a time in the meetings that we would be asked to stop and pray and wait on the Holy Spirit to speak, and God was always faithful. I have no reason to believe that God will not continue to be faithful now, even in these anxious and isolated times. Why? Because the kingdom of God is not in trouble, and neither are we. So I invite you to commit to, to, commit to a half hour of prayer 
and we will give you some guidelines for that half hour, what it looks like. We will have sign up for uh, 24 hours of prayer on Ascension Day, May the 21st, from midnight May 20th until midnight May 21st. And if you're interested in taking part, when you go to fill out the communication card, you can, you can request more information. And then tomorrow we'll send you an email that tells you how to sign up for a slot. You can find the link to the communication card in the Bible app live event on our webpage, ecclife.net slash stream, and as a link on the Facebook live event. Don't go there yet, please. As soon as this service is over, I'll invite you to click on that link and tell us that you're here and then sign up to receive that invitation to take part in the Ascension Day 24-hour prayer vigil. The first disciples found their plans, their understandings, their, their very lives upended by several life-altering, universe-altering events. First in the death of Jesus, then in his resurrection, and finally in his instructions to them and his rearranging of their theology and their old ways of understanding and seeing God at work in the world. Of course, in, the whole, in, in, the, in his ascension and in the coming of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus promised them. Throughout all of these ups and downs, this roller coaster ride that was the early days of the church, one thing was certain. The kingdom of God was not in trouble, even in anxious and uncertain times, and neither are we. You may recall that this statement in our good news this, this morning comes to us from something I shared with you a couple of weeks ago. And I want to share that again. And once again, it's in the Bible app live event. And I invite you to take a picture of the screen as I show it here in just a minute or write these things down if you're fast enough or, or uh, you can actually back up and watch this part again if you want to or watch for another posting on our Facebook page. I invite you to, to say and pray these words each day as I know some of you are already doing. They come to us from James Bryan Smith, author of the Good and Beautiful God series of books. And I have often said these words myself when I feel anxious or when I feel in doubt or, or something's going on to remind myself of these truths. Here they are. I am one in whom Christ dwells and delights. I live in the strong and unshakable kingdom of God. The kingdom is not in trouble and neither am I. Let's say those together. I am one in whom Christ dwells and delights. I live in the strong and unshakable kingdom of God. The kingdom is not in trouble, and neither am I. Our lives have been upended, just as the lives of those first disciples had, for different reasons, yes, but they have been upended nonetheless. What are we to do? We are to trust in the reality that the kingdom of God is not in trouble, and neither are we. And we are to wait on and pray for the leading of God's Holy Spirit so that we know what to do next. For those first disciples, their waiting and praying and trusting enabled them to receive the gift of, that the Father God had promised in the coming of God's Holy Spirit, to fall upon them, to live within them, and to empower them in, in the birth of the church and in the continuation of all Jesus began to do and teach in the Gospels. What might God have for you if, if, if you take similar approaches to the anxious time in which you live? What might God have for us if we all take a similar approach to the anxious times in which we live? What, what might God do in and through us as individuals and us as a congregation if we spend time waiting on God, praying and waiting for the Holy Spirit to act in and through us? I hope you'll join us on this journey through the book of Acts where we see 
the kingdom of God taking shape. I hope you'll join us in that 24-hour Ascension Day prayer vigil coming up next month. But if all of this sounds strange to you in some way, if you've been poking around the internet or on Facebook and you just stumbled upon our worship service, and you've never, you've never come to faith in Christ, or you'd, or you'd like to learn more about what it means to know and follow Christ, you can let us know by emailing us at ecclife at ecc at ecclife.net, or by checking the box on that electronic communication card that says you'd like to learn more about knowing and following Christ. And you can do that in just a few moments after I pronounce the benediction. For now, would you join me in a moment of prayer? Good and gracious God, we thank you for the gift of the Gospels, for the gift of Jesus, for the gift of his teaching on the nature of the kingdom of God. We thank you that the kingdom of God is not in trouble in these anxious times, and neither are we. And we thank you, Lord, for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit upon those first followers and now upon us. And we pray, O oh God, that we would learn to wait on you and to wait on the leading of your Spirit. We pray, O oh God, that, that we would be open to what you have to say to us in big and small ways and that we too would move out in boldness and that the kingdom, the message about the kingdom would go forth and be proclaimed in all boldness and without hindrance. And I pray for anyone who might be watching us right now, God, who has not yet come to know you, has not yet entered into that faith relationship. God, I pray that you would speak to their hearts. I pray that you would give them a boldness and a humility to name the reality that they don't know you, that they need to know you, that they hunger and thirst for life in the kingdom of God, that they would take those steps. You know, if, that's, if that is you right now, yeah, I invite you just to pray this prayer. Just repeat after me. Good and gracious God, I need you. I have not known you. I have not walked with you. I ask you to forgive me of my sins, to bring me into your kingdom, and to teach me a new way to live. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you did pray that prayer, once again, I invite you to let us know. Checking that box on the communication card or sending an email again to ecc at ecclife.net. And we would love to follow up with you.